When you tell someone you're sorry and you promise them that you'll change over and over again because you keep making the same mistakes, they become desensitized to the promises and the words no longer work. I teach you how to follow through with change when you're hurting someone you care about over at HealedBeing.com. The first four lessons are free and just those lessons alone might be enough to start turning the ship in a new direction. HealedBeing.com Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you learn the skill set you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. The show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. And I'm going to try to teach you tools and skills that you need uh, to use in the most, most emotionally intelligent way. Not that I am Mr. Perfect with emotional intelligence. I have my moments. <laughs> I try to be intelligent, emotionally speaking, only because I want good results. I want healthy results. I want win-win situations. I think that is an emotionally intelligent approach, is when you can get a win-win situation. Mean, and I think a good example of this is when I honor my boundaries, I do so with love for the other person. I mean, love for myself, of course, but love for the other person as well. Like when I told a relative, no, I'm not going to lend you money, but I love you. <laughs> and I don't want our relationship to be based on borrowing money or you know, money itself. I, I don't want it to be based on that, uh, but I love you. And I want to keep a wonderful relationship that we have, but it's not going to be, you know, not going to have money as a component. Not that I would never, ever give this person money or lend this person money, but that's what I mean. I honored myself by saying no, and I love you, and I want to keep this relationship. I love the kind of relationship we have. Let's move forward from this. I believe that attempt, it was an attempt at creating a win-win situation. But, you know, it doesn't always work. This person may be listening to this right now, and I still love this person. I never talked to this person, but I still love this person. I just don't want to make it about money. I don't want to make it about other things. And that's what it would have, or has had the ability to turn into, had the possibility of turning into, is being about money. And I did that with my dad. You know, I loved my dad. He loved me. But it was weird because one day he called me, um, like a, a lot. He, he would call me and make conversation, chit-chat. And then the obligatory, like I knew it was going to happen, he asked for money. Hey, you know, can I borrow some money? Um, he did that a lot, and I usually said yes. But I didn't like our phone calls being about money anymore. I mean, they were about everything else. We were talking about you know, hanging out together and current events and how our lives have changed because we weren't really close, uh, and, you know, geographically. And uh, then when he would get close to the finishing of the conversation, he would say or ask, can I borrow some money? And so I felt like it was just a filler. I felt like he was just putting all this as a precursor to what the real purpose of the call was, which was to ask for money. I didn't like that. I didn't like that feeling. So every time I picked up the phone, I knew, or at least I felt, there was going to be that um, issue with him asking to borrow money. And I didn't like it, so our calls became more stressful to me. And so I decided this is a problem and it needs to be addressed. And so I'm going to honor myself with love for my dad and uh, one day he called and of course at the end of the call he asked and uh, I said 
um, no, I'm, I'm not going to lend you money. I forget exactly what I said. And he goes, oh, okay, okay, no problem. And um, after we hung up, you know, it was very cordial, very kind and good-natured. I never heard from him again. <laughs> he never called. And I'm not putting down my dad. I love my dad. He, uh, we got along great. But we did have a 10-year span where there was zero communication. And uh, I hate to say it, but it might have had to do with that. Might have had to do with me not saying yes to lending him money anymore. Because I really felt that the relationship was deeper than that. I mean, it felt like that. I don't know if it's true, but it felt like that to me. But that one call, when I stopped saying yes, uh, pretty much ended the relationship. This is very personal. If family is listening right now, I don't mean to air our dirty laundry on the air. uh, Because I, like I said, I, I still love my dad. I mean, he's passed on now. But I didn't grow hatred for him or anything like that. It was just an, a, a weird intrusion in our um, our relationship. So 10 years passed, and then I hear from a relative that my dad is in the hospital, he has cancer, and we don't know what's going to happen. And at that point, you know, I had been thinking for years, I need to reconcile with him. I need to talk to him. I need to at least say something to him. I don't want our relationship to end on that note and I have matured enough to be able to speak honestly to him and I really think it's time to bury the hatchet and go see him and I did I flew down went to see him and he was in the hospital and um, it was great to see him again I learned a lot about my perception of him (laughs) he was a different person than I remember but it was still great to see him and get to know him again as the new person I was and um, quite frankly say goodbye. That was the moment, or at least a few days later, was the moment I got to say goodbye to him. I think I've said this on the air before, but um, after I left the hospital, he was okay during that stay. He was getting treatment. After I left the hospital, he called me. He was in the greatest mood. He was so... uh, looking forward to the future. He said, I I feel great now. He said he's getting better and everything was going well. And um, I knew this would be the last call. Not because I was going to get him out of my life again, but because I had a feeling that this was going to be the last call. I had a feeling that he was going to die. And uh, I don't know how long after, but just days later, he died. The good news is that I got to speak to my dad. I reconciled and I got to speak to him one last time. And I also knew it was the last time I was going to speak to him. The only reason I knew, or at least why I believe I knew it would be the last time, is because he had a pretty serious uh, bout of bone cancer going on. And I don't think it was healing. I don't think it was getting better or going into remission. I think it was getting worse, and I don't know if I read this somewhere or if I just knew this intrinsically, which I don't know if it's possible, but I think the body allows for the pain to go away during the uh, last cycle of life. I'm really unqualified to say that, but I, I think the body has like a trauma response where it just says, you know what, you've experienced enough pain and we're going to shut down here. So what I'm going to do is just take this pain away so you feel pretty good and then um, it'll be time to go. This might be a personal belief. I've not looked into the science of this, but he was in such a good mood and um, he felt so good and he said he felt healthy and that just gave away to me that he might be going like shortly and so I treated that call as my last call with him and I was so grateful to have that opportunity to have that last call with him so I kind of went down that side road but I wanted to bring that up because um, it is important that in order to create a win-win situation which is what I started talking about uh, you do so with love for other people at least 
as much as you can give and if the person deserves it <laughs> not everyone deserves your love that might be wrong to say and maybe not everyone agrees with that but not everyone deserves your love not everyone deserves your forgiveness not everyone deserves your compassion I think people in general deserve compassion I think people in general deserve to be at least um, maybe not forgiven I don't believe that you have to forgive everyone but at least um, allowed to have made the mistake and you uh, have gotten the apology if they made that mistake with you and I believe they should be allowed to continue without um, being judged by that mistake from that point on or being put down for that mistake or whatever I believe that people can move on from mistakes some mistakes not all of them and some mistakes don't deserve forgiveness and some mistakes aren't mistakes at all so that's when you have a choice to move on yourself and hopefully get past it and I have episodes on that if you want to look for forgiveness and moving past how people have wronged you but I do believe in doing what you can to create a win-win situation which is in my opinion the epitome of emotionally intelligent communication emotionally intelligent interactions and when you can say I love you and I'm gonna do what I can for you but I also have to honor myself too and sometimes first then another person who cares about you and loves you and supports you and wants you to be happy is going to say that's a great idea because I'm gonna do the same with you I'm gonna honor you with love for myself and I'm gonna honor myself with love for you I think it works better that way I think that's the win-win scenario I like to create with my dad I said no but I still love you I don't think I used those words because I didn't say no and never call me again I said no let's talk about something else no but what else is going on in your life you know I, I kept it kind and I kept it still moving in the direction that I would like to take the relationship and some people you know my dad at that time did not want to take the relationship um, into a direction that didn't include money and so that isn't the only reason we disconnected I don't want to again I don't want to paint him as a bad guy it was just one of the bigger ones that came up and it was awkward <laughs> when it came up it was really awkward because when I said no it wasn't like uh, it was an authentic oh no big deal don't worry about it sometimes you can afford it and I just ask and sometimes you can't totally cool it was more like um, when you ask somebody to uh, go on a date with you and they're married <laughs> and they say oh I'm with someone or I have a partner or whatever and you go oh oh, oh, oh that's cool that's cool you know I, I didn't mean to uh, interfere I'm not I'm not trying to I get it I get it. it's all good <laughs> you're trying to backpedal a little bit you're trying to be um, not awkward in that moment so that's what it felt like with my dad like, trying to be not awkward in this moment this should have been easy but it's not easy sometimes because sometimes you haven't honored your boundaries around people sometimes you've allowed people to walk on you and say and do things that um, you may not have agreed with and made you do things that you didn't want to do but you did anyway because you want to accommodate them you want to people please them and so this is actually going somewhere I'm gonna go into a uh, an email that I received in the next segment and talk about this person who has a brother and a boyfriend and they were friends and she used to be a people pleaser to her brother and now she's not and I think it's a great subject to talk about because um, it became awkward after you know she stopped people pleasing and there is a good way to do that there's a healthy way to do that and I believe it's win-win and maybe she did maybe she didn't but I'm gonna read that email when we get back it's not that long and uh, we'll see where we go with it I'll be right back after this You know, one of our sponsors today is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, 
And uh, BetterHelp has been a sponsor for quite a long time. I think over maybe two years now. Uh, and I love having them on the show. It's something I don't do anymore, the one-on-one stuff. And BetterHelp came along and said, hey, let's provide the Overwhelm Brain listeners with a direct source to help. They can listen to your show, Paul, but what if they want to get into a subject? What if they want to dive into it? And you've received 300 emails and you're only reading one. You're not getting to the rest of the people. That's correct. I'm not getting to the rest of you. That's why I'm happy to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. And I want to help you take care of your brain. This is the Overwhelm Brain Podcast. Let's try to get it not overwhelmed. And I think BetterHelp is a great way to do that. Um, I had to take care of my brain for the 10 years that I was not talking to my dad because I was trying to reconcile my thoughts and my feelings and what do I do about that? What do I do? What do I say? Should I call him? Should I not? And I needed to talk to someone and therapy was a huge help. Therapy was a huge help a few times in my life that I really, really needed it. And uh, sometimes you need more than a show can do for you, than a book or a video. That's where BetterHelp really shines. They're an online therapy that offers video, phone, live chat only therapy sessions. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And as soon as you sign up, you'll be matched to a therapist in under 48 hours. If you can't get it off your mind, maybe BetterHelp is the right solution for you. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain. And if you go to that URL, you'll get 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's one way to help you support a healthy brain. And speaking of healthy brains, I think my girlfriend has a pretty healthy brain. But every now and then... (laughs) All right, that's probably not the best way to start this. Um, Let's put it this way. We were laying in bed last night, so tired, ready to go to sleep. And I I swear, she has her eyes barely open. And she says... I want to play Best Fiends, but I know I shouldn't. <laughs> I said, I'm going to tell this story tomorrow on the air. Uh, and she said, I know it's late, and if I do it, I'm going to get kind of sucked into it, and I, I just want to get past this level. <laughs> and so I'm laughing the whole time. We like to play Best Fiends before bed, not every night, but a lot. We play a lot because it's sort of that one last thing. You know, I'm just going to wind down, have this one last thing, and feel a sense of accomplishment before we go to sleep. And so, did she take it? Yeah, she took it out, and uh, she's played that level. And um, I watched her, and it was fun, because she's tired, and she just couldn't help herself. So, okay, that's great, because I know Best Fiends is one of those games you can't put down. You can become obsessed with it a little bit, not in an unhealthy way, but there's a reason It has 100 million downloads, and uh, this isn't some kid's game. It's actually a game of strategy. It's a game of what's the best scenario I can create. Should I upgrade this one fiend of mine to make more points to kill the slug, or should I destroy all these stumps? I mean, you're going to have a lot of fun dragging your finger around the screen to match things, drop things, blow stuff up. There's so many levels. It's one of those games that entertained you that you could pick up any time where you left off and continue playing so last time i looked i was on level 225 and i think it says 225 hard or something and uh, yeah some of the levels are harder but that just makes it more fun because once you're able to beat the level and you feel that sense of accomplishment that feels pretty good so i want to invite you to check out best fiends you've earned your fun time go to the apple app store or google play to download best fiends for free Plus, you can earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. Welcome back. I'm going to get right into the email because I have a lot of notes that I wrote down after I read this. And uh, I thought, why am I writing so many notes? I'm just going to talk about it on the air. But I have a lot of bullet points that I want to get to. So the person wrote... First of all, thank you. Your podcasts have been helping me out so much. You are welcome. The situation I'm currently struggling with, my boyfriend and my half-brother are friends. I used to do a lot for this brother as I was very much a people pleaser and I wanted to make up for the way he missed out on not having our dad around. I know it's not my responsibility. I have now learned that. My brother actually liked that I was a people pleaser and I had, or he had a hard time when I stopped. Since then, he has been 
very passive-aggressive toward my boyfriend, telling him that he has it easy because he has me in his life, and I take care of everything. This is very hurtful because my boyfriend is actually the one that encourages me to focus on myself. My brother keeps asking if we can hang out, but I get really anxious when I think about it. I am at a point where I want to cut him out of my life, but I feel so bad for thinking that. I was wondering if there was another way to handle this. Okay, thanks for writing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yes, there's many ways. There are many ways to think about this. Um, but one, don't feel bad for thinking about cutting someone out of your life. First of all, it doesn't mean it has to be permanent. It can be temporary. Some people need a break from each other so they can realize the harm that might be going on, the damage that might be going on to the relationship. And some people may never realize that. So taking a break from someone could be temporary, could be permanent. And when you take a break, you gauge how you feel. How do I feel about this break? How does it feel to be away from him? And uh, do I feel better? Do I want to build a relationship uh, or rebuild a relationship like I did with my dad when I talked about in the last segment? What do I want to do? And taking a break gives you time to clear the fog, think for yourself, think uh, without their influence in your brain, and it gives you clarity. And when you have clarity, you can make better decisions. So it's not a bad thing to take a break. And every time you cut somebody out of your life, it doesn't have to be permanent. It can just be an opportunity to reflect and reset. And maybe it could be permanent. Who knows? But um, I'm going to answer your question regarding, is there another way to handle this? And this is where my notes come in. Your brother wants validations or validation for his observations. He wants you to admit defeat by giving in and feeling guilty so that maybe you'll return to people-pleasing and accommodating him the way you used to. So you said that he was passive-aggressive and he's harder to talk to now and you get awkward and he especially said, you have it so easy because she's in your life. So he's telling your boyfriend that his partner, you, is in your life and your brother used to have you probably doing things for him and saying yes to everything. And so he knows how valuable, your brother knows how valuable you are. And now he sees that uh, your boyfriend, your partner, is getting the value from your relationship because you do everything for him, which I'm sure is not true. You probably don't do everything for him, but your brother now feels maybe left out or because you were always accommodating and now you're honoring yourself how do you function in his life anymore what what do you do for your brother anymore and this is what happens unfortunately some people we have a dysfunctional attachment with them and then when we uh, start to honor ourselves and start to feel empowered they can feel like you're taking something away from them even though it was dysfunctional even though it was toxic because they haven't seen maybe the, the the toxicity behind the behaviors and if they're the toxic one and you start to feel empowered and start honoring yourself and start honoring your boundaries by saying no more often then that can scare some people to think that they're losing control they're losing control of you they're losing control of their life because you were there to either pick up the pieces or prevent the pieces from falling in the first place so this might have his fear kicking in. But we want to address the passive-aggressive behavior, and I'm going to give you some pointers here in a moment. Um, but what I said is your brother wants validation for his observation, meaning his observation is now you are in your boyfriend's life more often than you're in your brother's life, and he is being passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive behavior is somebody saying, hey, validate me. This is my observation. He wants you to admit defeat by giving in and feeling guilty, because that's why he's being passive-aggressive, so that maybe you'll return to people-pleasing him and accommodating him the way you used to. So passive-aggressive behavior has a, a benefit to it. I mean, all behavior has a benefit, but passive-aggressive behavior is trying to tell you, hey, look at me, look what I'm saying, without actually saying it. I want you to observe what I'm saying. I want you to validate what I'm saying without actually saying what I want to say. Let me just read my next uh, bullet point here. When it comes to passive-aggressive behavior, 
I try to answer the question, what is this person trying to accomplish? What is the goal for this behavior? It's like I was saying, there's always a benefit to passive-aggressive behavior. What is the goal for it? What are they trying to accomplish? And I'm thinking about your brother, and if I were to guess, in your case, he wants to make your boyfriend feel as if he has it so good that he should feel sorry for your brother. So his goal, your brother's goal, may be trying to make your boyfriend feel bad for having it so good so that somebody feels pity for your brother. And um, some people do this. They can put on a, a pity party and play a victim to get the attention. When they do that, it's, you know, they're trying to fulfill a need. They're trying to get their control back in their life or not have to address their own fears, their own insecurities. And they don't want to honor themselves to the point where they actually speak up and might actually be confrontational to say, hey, this is what I want in my life and this is what you are doing or not doing. And so people become passive aggressive, they're indirect, and they do and say things in a way that have uh, an underlying message that you're supposed to interpret, but um, when you can't, then you just move on. Or when you choose not to, the other person stays passive aggressive. And there are ways to help them stop. I actually have an episode on passive-aggressive behavior. I did not too long ago, probably a couple episodes. And um, I've talked about that in length on those episodes at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. You can find the uh, all-podcast list, and you'll see passive-aggressive episodes in there. But I'm going to give you some more in case you didn't get enough from them. I look at passive-aggressive people, and I ask myself, if they achieved their goal... You know, they're trying to get this message across. If they achieved their goal of you understanding the message, what does it do for them? So let's just say that he said, oh, you have it so good. You have so-and-so in your life. She does everything for you. What's his goal in saying that? What does it do for him? And the formula is, what are they trying to accomplish? And if they achieve the goal, what does it do for them? So that's what I look at. I go, what is this person trying to accomplish by being passive-aggressive? And if they achieve the goal that they're trying to accomplish, what does it do for them? Your situation, it seems that your brother wants to show other people that he has it worse than them. That might be what he's trying to accomplish. I want to accomplish, you know, as your brother, I want to accomplish that they feel bad for me because I have it worse. And if that's the case, if your brother is trying to accomplish that, why is he doing that? Why does he want you to feel bad and make you see that he has it worse than you or your boyfriend? And I like to ask the question, what does showing you that he has it worse than you accomplish? So that's the why question. Why is he doing this? What does it accomplish? Remember, there's always a benefit to their behavior. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. So what would happen if you or your boyfriend thought that your brother had it worse than the both of you? How would you feel? What would you do? Let me repeat that. What would happen if you or your boyfriend thought that your brother had it worse than the both of you? How would you feel? What would you do? My first thought is that you'd feel bad for him. And because you feel bad, you might want to please him in some way because you don't want him to feel bad. And you'll see how I'm coming full circle here that he wants your people-pleasing behavior back, which it sounds like that's what you believe too. And in order to get that back, he's going to manipulate you by being passive-aggressive because he knows if you feel bad, you are very likely going to want to please him in some way because you don't want him to feel bad. And that might just accomplish his goal of wanting you to be a people-pleaser to him again. I'm sorry if I lost you. I'm going to make this as clear as possible. <laughs> but this is how I think. This is where my brain goes. I like to find out why does somebody do behavior they do. I like to ask the question, what benefit do they get from doing that behavior? And... How do they want me to react or respond to that behavior? And why do they want me 
to respond to that behavior that way. If he wants you to feel bad, why does he want you to feel bad? Because he gets the benefit of your people-pleasing because he knows that you're a compassionate, kind, caring, supportive person and will not want him to feel bad and then will start people-pleasing him again, although he probably wouldn't call it people-pleasing. He would just call it, um, you used to be nice to me. He would just say something like that. So this is the full circle thing where you used to be a people-pleaser, you stopped doing it, and now you have this behavior that replaces direct communication so that he can get his way and this can happen some people do this they figure out it works so they keep doing it and he may have been doing this all along with you and because you're a people pleaser and it worked every time that uh, he thinks it's just gonna work every time and it's not and so now here's the next stage of this you need to show up in a way that you definitely don't respond to his passive-aggressive behavior the same way that you've been responding to it. Oh, uh, I almost forgot to say, one of the benefits of you becoming a people-pleaser in his life again and saying yes to everything that he needs and trying to make sure he's always happy or whatever you did, he might be doing that behavior so that you and your boyfriend make him feel worthy of love and attention. Because some people seek love and attention in this way. They they don't say, hey, I feel lonely. Would you mind spending some time with me? They are passive-aggressive and trying to make you feel guilty or bad in some way so that you will come back into their life making them feel worthy of love and attention. And they don't want to be direct about it because being direct means being vulnerable. That means saying, hey, I'm insecure in my life somewhere. Uh, and if I say that to you, I'll be very exposed my emotional armor will be off and you'll see a part of me that I'm afraid to show you and I don't want to show this to the world, I don't want to show it to you and because I don't want to show that I'm going to do this other behavior which is a coping mechanism that I've developed over the years probably in childhood so that I don't have to be honest with you or direct and so when I'm direct it scares me enough that um, I just will avoid it at all costs. I don't want to be direct. That's what passive-aggressive behavior really is. It's the indirect way to send a message, but there is some negativity in there. There's either anger, fear, insecurity, very similar, and uh, when that drives your decisions, you're more likely to do manipulative behavior or coercive behavior like this. So like I said, you have to show up in a way that you haven't been showing up for the passive-aggressive behavior. I don't want you to fall for the passive-aggressive behavior anymore and instead see them as truths or at least partial truths. This one's gonna require some explaining. If your brother tells your boyfriend you have it so easy, you've got her and she does everything for you, your boyfriend should see that as truth. She does everything for me. This may or may not be 100% true or even 50% true, but if your boyfriend saw what he said as a truth, she does everything for you. And your boyfriend thinks, oh, that is true. You know, just to play this game right now, he could say, yeah, right? She does a lot. Well, not everything, but it's so great having a partner to help me out in life. She's pretty great, isn't she? So what I've done is I haven't fallen for the passive-aggressive behavior. I've treated it as a truth. She does everything for you. You have it so lucky. Yeah, right? I know. I'm so lucky. <laughs> what this does to the passive-aggressive person, in this case your brother, is it puts him on the spot because now he's not getting the reaction he wanted. He's not getting the attention that the passive-aggressive behavior used to do for him. Instead, he's seeing that you are replying positively to his passive-aggressiveness. And you, or your boyfriend, is even owning what he's saying so that he can't use it against you. What you've done is taken all the resistance that your brother expected away and you replaced it with feeling good about what he's saying. I hope that sunk in what I just said. Instead of feeling bad when he does passive-aggressive stuff like this, you feel good and you the way you do that is you take what he's saying as truth and you own it. Oh my god, you're right. I am very lucky. 
you know, she doesn't do everything for me, which is something I'll throw in just to say that, no, she's not doing everything for me. I'm going to hand you some truth back here. But yeah, I do feel lucky. I am lucky. Thanks for noticing. (laughs) That does change the energy exchange here. Your brother is trying to be negative and your boyfriend turns it into a positive. Yeah, right? She's great. And your boyfriend is owning what your brother said. Your brother wants to use that against you. Your brother wants to use the fact that your boyfriend has it better. And if you acknowledge that and you feel bad for it, then he can continue to use that against you. So you take all the resistance that he expected and you replace it with feeling good about what he's saying. He wants you to feel bad so that the attention comes back on him for whatever reason. Like I said, wants attention for feeling worth and love. So my suggestion is to own what he says when possible. I mean, you can't own a complete untruth. If he says, hey, you're filthy rich and you're not, (laughs) you probably wouldn't say, heck yeah, we're filthy rich. We're buying another house this month. But you can say something like, sometimes I feel filthy rich. That's true. I love my life and I love my family. It makes me feel wealthy. You see how I did that? I turned some passive-aggressive behavior back on the person and basically showed them that I'm not falling for it. And they may not even know they're doing this consciously. It's just their coping mechanism that they've been using probably for years, most of their life. But um, what we're doing is we're taking away the stimulus response that usually happens. The stimulus is their passive-aggressive behavior. The response is us feeling bad or feeling angry. How do we turn this around? We turn it into a positive. You guys are filthy rich. I can't believe that you are living the life. You know, that might have a passive-aggressive tone. And the answer, sometimes I feel filthy rich. That's true. I love my life and I love my family. It makes me feel wealthy. That turns into a positive. And you don't have to memorize these lines. You don't have to remember what I'm telling you. Just ask yourself, how can I own what this other person's saying and be proud of what this person is saying about me? This reminds me of the silent treatment. When somebody gives you the silent treatment, you know, the kind that they want you to feel bad or guilty, they withhold love, they withhold connection, not the kind where you're trying to process something and try to figure something out. Um, I'm talking about the one that wants to make you feel bad. When somebody does that, that's an emotionally abusive behavior That's designed to make the other person feel bad or guilty so that the person they are being silent toward will feel bad that they caused the other person's pain and suffering. So this is definitely a controlling abuse of someone's emotions. And if the person doing the silent treatment wants to feel love and connection, they can use the toxic behavior of becoming silent, again, withholding love and connection, so that the other person shows up and says, what's wrong? You've been so quiet. Where are you? Come back to me. And if you're in that space of asking somebody what's wrong, come back to me, where are you? It takes your mind off what happened previously and it fulfills their need for love and attention. I mean, this is a basic explanation and sometimes there's a lot more involved, but this is one possibility with silent treatment is that they want your love and attention And they also are angry about something that you did or frustrated by something that they don't like about you or whatever. And so what they do is they withhold love and attention so that you can give them love and attention. And it takes your mind off what uh, happened previously so that you don't focus on that. If you focus on what happened before that, like they got triggered and they got angry, then they'll feel exposed. That exposes their core fears, their insecurities, and it shows them a part of you that they're not ready to show you, which is why they want to lead you off that breadcrumb trail so that you now focus back on yourself. Uh, What did I do wrong? You know, thinking about what you could have done differently. And as long as you're focused on yourself, thinking that you are at fault because they're withholding love and connection from you, then they don't have to deal with um, anything they're they're doing wrong or any of their fears or insecurities. I know I'm sharing a lot with you right now. I hope it's not overwhelming, but a lot of this is tied together. A lot of this passive-aggressive behavior, emotionally abusive behavior, is tied together. And the silent treatment is definitely a passive-aggressive behavior, probably one of the top passive-aggressive behaviors 
because they're saying nothing. Talk about passive. <laughs> they're saying nothing, and they're trying to send a message that they hope you get so that you'll stop doing whatever frustrates or annoys or angers them. But they don't express it because fear of confrontation, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, lots of fears go into the silent treatment. Again, the type of silent treatment that's used to control, not the one where you found something out and now you need to process it and you don't know how to think about it and you're not trying to make the other person feel bad. You just need time to think. That's not even called the silent treatment. That's just processing. But sometimes it feels like the silent treatment because you need time away from other people or the person that was the trigger for it. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who does the silent treatment and it works and it puts you in the space of asking, what's wrong? You've been so quiet. Where are you? Come back to me. Then they're going to repeat doing that. It's going to happen over and over again. It's a toxic way to divert the attention of bad behavior. They don't want you to look at their bad behavior, even though silent treatment is bad behavior. But, um, a lot, you know, we can fall for it because we love the people that we're with. And if they go silent, uh, what's going on? Are they okay? Are they depressed? We don't know. Now, the people who do the silent treatment, they're trying to train you. And if this is you, listen up. <laughs> they're trying to train you by using negative reinforcement. Because what happens is the person doing the silent treatment wants the other person to feel bad, and that's their way of training them. If they feel bad, the person doing the silent treatment gets good treatment. It's very dysfunctional, very toxic. And when somebody does the silent treatment to get the motherly or fatherly or parentally, whatever it is, motherly nurturing that they are hoping to get, that lifts them up and makes them feel good and again the the attention on what they did wrong before or some other aspect of the relationship that's not working that is now diverted onto the person doing the silent treatment again so that they aren't dealing with their insecurities and and now they're getting the nurturing that they hope to get which is all part of the emotionally abusive cycle now with the silent treatment it's passive-aggressive behavior, and if you're going to thwart passive-aggressive behavior, you want to respond to it differently than you have been. If you have been telling the person, I miss you, where are you, asking them what's going on, if you do that every time because they are silent and you want them to come back, what you're doing is reinforcing their bad behavior and they're reinforcing your nurturing and your worries about them and it just happens over and over again typically in many relationships whether romantic platonic friendship this happens somebody can be silent on you for the purpose you know we have to ask the question what are they trying to accomplish how are they benefiting from this what is their goal what are they trying to accomplish I've given you a scenario they're trying to accomplish uh, making you feel bad and what will making you feel bad accomplish? What will it make you do? What will it make you think? Well, if you're a caring, kind, compassionate person, you don't want them to feel bad. You might think that you caused it in some way because you are caring and you don't want to be seen as the bad guy. So what will end up happening is that you will become nurturing. And that might be their goal. They want you to become nurturing. And forget about the past. Forget about the time I... Uh, ticked you off. Forget about all that. Now nurture me. Take all your attention off the other bad behaviors. Now nurture me. Bring me back to health or at least um, happiness or at least uh, pre-happiness, something that puts them in a better state. And so that can happen. That's why you need to ask these questions. How are they benefiting from this? What, what are they getting from it? What is the secondary gain is sometimes what I ask. What are they trying to achieve? What is their goal? And then, what do they want me to feel? What do they want me to think? And what will it do for them if I feel and think that? Because if I'm going to do behavior they want, then they've achieved their goal. So these are things to think about. Ask yourself these questions so that you can start thwarting any type of passive-aggressive behavior. Now, just to finish this segment, I hope I answered the person's question who wrote. She said that she wants to hang out with her brother, but she doesn't want to feel this anxiety. And she's at the point where she may have to cut him off. And so this is where I want you to own 
what he says, even if it's not necessarily true, turn it into a positive and find out what he does next. If he says, oh, you're so lucky because you have her in your life, if he says that to your boyfriend, then your boyfriend can say, oh, yeah, I am lucky. I love it. Thank you for noticing. She's great, isn't she? <laughs> That's going to throw him off. He's not going to achieve his goal. But what it does is it prevents or at least poisons the milk a little bit so that they stop using passive-aggressive behavior because now it's not rewarding. you got to take out the reward. You feeling bad might be the reward. So if you don't feel bad, he might not be able to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. So that's something you can try doing and see if it works. And because I uh, went into the silent treatment, uh, one of the ways to thwart that is when somebody's doing the silent treatment, something that I used to do in my relationships, if my partner came up to me and said, I don't know where you are, but when you're ready to connect, let me know. And then they ignored me from that point on. <laughs> they didn't look at me with sad puppy dog eyes, which I have to say, that's what used to happen. And that was part of how I used to be manipulative. I'm not proud of it. I admit this stuff on the air, but that's who I used to be. Um, if they ignored me, I might have stopped doing it because I would realize that what I was trying to accomplish by using negative reinforcement didn't work. I wouldn't be mothered or nurtured. They wouldn't feel bad for doing behavior that triggered me because I used to become silent when they triggered me and instead of talking about it, I just went silent and I wouldn't be able to divert their focus onto my pain and suffering. They just lived their life. Because when I was doing the silent treatment, I wanted them to think I was suffering. And if they thought that, they would nurture me. And when they were nurturing me, my goal was to make them feel bad for doing behaviors that triggered me. So instead of just accepting them for who they were, which I should have done, I made them feel bad for doing behaviors that triggered me, which... I should have accepted and said, this is the whole package, that's them. I have to love them for who they are. Why can't I do that? Instead of doing that, I tried to coerce and manipulate so that they would feel bad after they did those behaviors in hopes that they wouldn't do them again. And it never worked. <laughs> I'm here to say, when you do the silent treatment to change someone else's behaviors, it never works. And even if it does, you pretty much destroy the relationship because what ends up happening is you disintegrate who they are slowly, day by day, after week, after month, after year. When you disintegrate who someone is at their core, who they are, how they behave, how they talk, how they act, and they feel more and more stifled, they feel more and more oppressed, then what ends up happening is they become unhappy and the relationship disintegrates because one unhappy person in a relationship becomes two unhappy people in a relationship. It happens over and over again. I, I've never seen one happy person and so glad to be in this relationship and so happy together when the other person's not happy. I've seen people pretend to be happy. I've seen people put on a smile. I've seen people that um, are say that they're happy, but they're really not. The relationship usually falls apart because when the one person's not happy and the other person is almost the cause of that unhappiness, Sometimes they are very much the cause of that unhappiness and the other person doesn't know what to do about it or doesn't know how to thwart these emotionally abusive behaviors I'm talking about or doesn't even know that it's emotionally abusive behavior, then the relationship doesn't have a chance. It just doesn't get through these uh, communication barriers. And it's a vicious cycle. It goes back and forth. One person does dysfunction. The other person feeds that dysfunction. And then that cycle is complete and maybe neither of them know they're doing it. I talk about all this stuff at loveandabuse.com. If you want to talk about emotionally abusive behavior, if you want to hear my thoughts on it, head over there. But I hope this helps. Once you stop feeding a dysfunction or toxic behavior, the behavior has to change because it doesn't accomplish what they want uh, to accomplish anymore. Thanks for writing. We are nearing the end of the show. I'm going to come back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words which is another quick email that I wanted to reply to. I just was able to fit it in at the last second. But thanks for tuning in today. We'll be right back after this.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patrons of the week, Monty, Andy, Andy's new. Great to have you, Andy. Thank you so much for your support. Andrea, Christy, Walter, Leela. Oh, I recognize all these names. You probably recognize these names by now. Adriana, Holly, Veronica, Vanessa, Deborah. Good to see you again. Robert, Chelsea, Allison, Jillian. All of you are, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for your support of the show. They are uh, financial supporters of the show, and you can be too if you find value in this show and you want to give back. Just head over to moretob.com. You'll see what I got going on over there, but uh, these people did it. You can do it if you want, if you're in a place to do it. If not, just share it with others. And thank you again, patrons. I appreciate each and every one of you. And for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, just talked about it, Love and Abuse. Go to loveandabuse.com. It's my other podcast. And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, like I used to be, head over to healedbeing.com and I offer a program over there. Finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And someone wrote to me about enforcing their boundaries. We talked about that earlier. And um, she said, uh, my the podcast on anger, the one I created on anger, reminded her that she needed to start enforcing her boundaries. But how do I do this without upsetting the people I love? For example, my partner sometimes drives erratically. He's a great guy, but he gets annoyed and defensive when I tell him that his driving is dangerous. And he says that I overreact, even though there are times we could have gotten into an accident because of the way he drives. Can you help me find a way to navigate issues like this so I can show up as my best self and I can feel safe and respected? That is a great question. How do you honor your boundaries without ticking someone else off. This is sort of along the same lines of um, reacting differently, right? Reacting differently to passive-aggressive behavior. How about reacting differently to um, situations like this where she obviously has fear. She has fear of his driving. And what she's been doing, she's probably been reacting in a way that is angry, uh, maybe offensive to him, not intentionally, maybe insulting to him, not intentionally. And she says things that probably hurt his ego. I've been driving all my life. I can't believe you're telling me I'm a bad driver. I've never been to an accident. I can relate to this. (laughs) This is something I might have actually said in the past or yesterday. (laughs) So um, my girlfriend has actually told me, why are you stopping so short at the light? Why are you... Um, pulling in so fast. I mean, she has said things and pretty much probably this, along the same lines as you. And in his his viewpoint, I have felt that way too. I have felt my ego get hurt. And it's because I don't have a single accident on my record. Only I have been uh, smashed into the back of my car once. And before anybody says, oh, oh, you better knock on wood, (laughs) I don't believe in that. (laughs) I think that I've been doing well all my life, um, avoiding dangerous situations, preventative driving. So when somebody says, you're a terrible driver or "You're, you're so dangerous, I might have a tendency to think, no, I'm not. Where are you getting this? But the reality is, and this is where I'm going to go with this person, the reality is this person has fear and that fear is not being conveyed in a way to empower the other person to choose to do something different to choose to behave differently and so if my girlfriend said it really scares me I mean I am literally afraid when you stop short when you slam the brakes on when we're getting near a yellow light and uh, I, I actually feel fear when you do that And if she were genuine about that, it would make me pause. Like, I would think, I don't want her to feel fear when she's driving with me. It might still affect, you know, my ego. Maybe not now because I'm talking about it and very aware of it. But it, let's just say it did. Let's just say it affected my ego. And I thought, I'm a good driver. You know, I'm not going to get us into an accident. That's not going to happen. So you don't have to worry. So now I'm invalidating her. You don't have to worry. But she is worried. And if she continued, and, you know, this is kind of coddling me a little, 
and said, yeah, but I, I am afraid when you do that. It makes me feel like my life is in danger. Again, the ego can still be hurt. Well, your life's not in danger. I'm driving. Well, this is where my I want my girlfriend or this person right here to say, that may be true. My, my life may not be in danger, but I still feel that fear. And I just want to let you know that I feel that fear when you do this. You may be in full control. In fact, you have been in full control. I see it. You do control it. But I'm not um, in that space with you. I, I feel afraid when you do that. I'm just letting you know that it causes me to feel afraid. Now, this gives the other person an opportunity to come back with a, an empowered response, a loving response. They could say, well, I don't want you to feel that way. I'm so sorry. And because you feel that way, I'll do better. I'll try to do better next time. I will be careful when coming to a stop or when uh, weaving in and out of traffic. I will put my blinker on. I'll take more time. You know, this isn't me. <laughs> Whoever is in this situation, the person who wrote, whatever's going on in your situation, if your partner says that, if he is apologetic and will be considerate next time, then you've accomplished it because you didn't approach him as angry. You didn't approach him as saying, and this might be offensive to his ego, when you say, you're dangerous. I'm dangerous? You're actually making me feel, when I try this on, when you call me dangerous, that defines me in a bigger way. You didn't say that move was dangerous. You said, I'm dangerous. Or my driving in general is dangerous. And we do this all the time. You're being so dangerous. I can't believe how careless you are. And we take it as the totality of who we are. And when we take it as the totality of who we are, it can be hurtful. And because it's hurtful, we don't want to feel weak. We don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to feel exposed. So we might jump back with a defensive comment. We're not in danger. I had full control the whole time. It could be true. Could have had full control the whole time. And he drives like Mario Andretti. <laughs> and you don't necessarily want to be with somebody who might be in full control. And you aren't necessarily up to going four-wheeling on the highway. So you want to convey that you are afraid. And this is where, again, you give somebody else the power to choose differently by sharing what you are feeling and not necessarily pointing the finger and saying, you are bad, you are dangerous, you don't care about me, you this, you that. Just point the finger back at yourself and say, I'm so scared when you drive like that. You're still saying you, but you're focusing on yourself. I feel worried that we're going to get into an accident. And I'm not saying that you would ever do that. I'm just saying this is my response to it. So you may be in full control, but this is how I feel about it. And I'm just sharing that with you in hopes that you will understand where I am. I'm not angry at you. I'm just not used to this type of driving that you do. So I'm hoping that sharing that with you, you'll understand my perspective. And that, that's the first opportunity. Now, that may not go anywhere. You may say that, and he may say, well, I drive fine, so you don't have to worry about it. And that might have to lead into a second part of this conversation where you say, well, when you tell me I don't have to worry about it, I still do worry about it. So it makes me feel like you don't respect how I feel. It makes me feel like you, you don't care about how I feel. And that really hurts me because I love you. And I think you are a great driver. We just have different driving styles. And so when you're fast, it really makes me afraid. And it makes me think that you're not worried about my feelings or you don't care about my feelings. Now, I know I'm talking very touchy-feely. And I know it might be an intense moment of fight or flight. And you're really activated. You just have to take a breath and say, I just want to let you know when you do that, it makes me really afraid. And try to keep the focus on you, not on what he's doing. Now, none of this may work. None of that may work. But what you've done is you've given them the choice to show up differently. So to this person who wrote, you've given your partner a choice to show up differently. And if he doesn't show up differently, then what he's doing I mean, if he continues to do 
the driving behavior that makes you feel afraid and maybe you'll mention it one more time again you're, you're making me feel afraid when you do that I just want to share that with you because I don't think you mean to make me feel afraid but if he invalidates that again and says well I'm fine and we're not going to get into an accident then what you might need to do is the third step which is honor yourself and say well it's clear that you're not going to change your driving so I can't drive with you anymore I know that you'll probably never get into an accident but I'm always afraid when I'm driving with you and I just need to not feel afraid and you know what maybe it is me maybe I'm overly sensitive to it but I would love to continue to be with you because I love you and I think you love me too but if you're not going to consider how I feel about it then I, I can't drive with you anymore something like that maybe not that but what you're doing now is honoring yourself and you're you might say so I'm going to drive alone and I don't want to I'd rather drive with you but I also don't want to be afraid all the time and I don't want you to be afraid all the time I, I would think that you wouldn't want me to be afraid and as much as you try to convince me that we're not gonna crash and even if I believed you I still react because it it scares me I'm not holding the wheel you are when you weave in and out you know where you're going but to me it's all coming at me really fast so I get afraid and I look at it this way if somebody knows that they are hurting you or making you afraid and they continue to do the behavior that you told them makes you feel hurt or afraid then they're doing so willingly knowing that you are hurt and afraid and that's not good for a relationship that's not healthy it's not good and it shows that they have some other priority going on there I'm not saying that they're a bad person I think she told me that he's a great guy and if he's a great guy but he has this one thing then he needs to know how it makes you feel and if he doesn't choose to change his behavior then you're gonna have to honor yourself in some way to get away from that behavior because if the rest of them is great and this one behavior is the only drawback then hopefully in time he will change that he will meet you in the middle somewhere so that uh, he can drive with you and feel good together my goal is to make my girlfriend feel good and happy and safe and if I'm not doing that I'm probably doing something wrong that doesn't mean I know if she's happy and safe all the time but I do my best and if she tells me I don't feel safe with you then I need to look at my own behavior I need to assess what I'm doing then what it tells her is that her feelings are not more important than my behavior and that's where things can really go <laughs> south it can really go bad because once that happens parts of the relationship can disintegrate and uh, you know how people remember things forever <laughs> certain people <laughs> they remember things forever uh, that'll never go away until it goes away and how do you make it go away you stop doing the behavior that makes somebody else fearful or afraid and I know that some people are listening to this right now and hearing me not say the one thing they probably want me to say which is if you drive like that again I'm out of here <laughs> you can absolutely honor your boundaries and say that's not acceptable it better not happen again you can do that I, I try to give the best win-win scenario I can and I know that what I'm suggesting here is sort of a little too coddling a little too nurturing uh, stroking the ego of someone who really should appreciate and love and honor you enough to not make you feel like you're in danger that absolutely should happen in a relationship and when it doesn't yeah you have every right to say this is unacceptable if you do it again I'm out of here or whatever the consequence is for them whatever accountability needs to happen so I'm not against that at all in fact that is usually my number one go-to because somebody who cares about you wants you to be happy they want to make sure that you feel safe your partner your loved ones should want you to feel safe and when you don't feel safe after you tell them you don't feel safe that says a lot and sometimes you do have to take a stand and say enough's enough I'm not doing this anymore you don't care about me if you cared about me you wouldn't put me in danger you wouldn't make me feel this way after I told you this 
So I'm, I'm going along the lines of trying to make a scenario where you're trying to work with someone else's insecurities or dysfunction or fragile ego. And that doesn't mean that you should do it that way. I'm just giving you options. Because sometimes we burst out in a reaction and now we're angry at each other for weeks or months or forever. And uh, what do we do then? Now we have this baggage that we can't get past. But sometimes we could just tell someone, hey, you know, when you do that, it hurts me or it makes me feel afraid. Could you not do that anymore? It's like a final request. Could you not do that anymore? Because once they know you're hurt or afraid, they should stop. That should be the end of it. But, you know, sometimes the ego gets in the way and we got to work with it. <laughs> we got to work with it and through it and try to help them understand so I hope I gave you something to work with, the person who wrote, and thank you for writing that. I am so sorry you have to deal with that. But um, there's my three-stage suggestion for dealing with this. And one more, one more little tip that may be helpful is positive reinforcement of when you feel safe and good when he's driving. In fact, I'm not saying that you should just come out of the blue and say, you're a really good driver. I'm saying that um, when he does something that actually protects you, for example, on the road. Um, that could be a positive reinforcement on something. Like, he has to swerve out of the way of somebody pulling out of a parking lot. Uh, wow, that was scary. I can't believe how well you navigated that. Good driving, honey. What it's going to do is start feeding his ego so he doesn't think that you complain all the time about his driving. Because if we never compliment somebody who might have a fragile ego in some area of life then what ends up happening is all they hear is the bad stuff and all they think is that um, no matter what they do, it's, it's bad or you don't like any aspect of his driving. I think when you positively reinforce someone when they're doing behaviors that are okay and safe and feel good, every now and then, don't overdo it, but just to let them know, I'm not here to complain and nag or anything like that. I'm here to let you know that um, you're great, 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 and then this one area makes me afraid. I'm not saying you're bad. It just makes me afraid. So this is why I'm sharing it with you. So the positive reinforcement helps to continue to uh, build the ego in a good way, in a healthy way, so that if he does have some fragility in his ego, that it might start to balance things out and he might be more open and receptive to your commentary. Hope this helps. If it doesn't, remember, keep an open mind because that's what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.